This is Dove Tuzman, and you're on Equal Footing. We've got an interesting show tonight about a big part of American social history, the Borscht Belt. This is an area, it's about 10 miles by 25 miles, located in Sullivan County, upstate New York, about 100 miles from New York City. And at one point, the Borscht Belt, in its heyday in the 1950s, had a million and a half to two million visitors each summer. Just to give you context, when the country's population was around half of what it is today, that rivals or exceeds the number of visitors to Las Vegas in a similar period. So this was a center of vacationing, of community, of love. It's a lot. It really weaves itself fundamentally into the story of the immigrant experience in America. We're going to get to that. The Borscht Belt. What was it? What was it about? What was that phenomenon? And where is it today? We've got a couple of guests tonight who actually lived the experience of the Borscht Belt in its heyday in the front row. Joined by Robert Parker. Robert was a part owner. He was president and general manager of the world-famous Concord Hotel from 1967 to 1998, with a few years of respite there in the late 80s, early 90s. Robert was actually a, a attorney. He has his bachelor's from the University of Denver and also his law degree from there. He's admitted to the bar in a couple of different states, but in one of our pregame conversations, he jokingly said he, he managed to practice for about six months then his clients were aware of the amount of time that the hotel was uh, taking and and went full-time into management of the the concord which really was the pearl of the borscht belt uh, in it in its time it was the most well-known uh, hotel of, of all of the 1000 plus hotels that existed in that tiny area just northwest of new york city Robert has uh, multiple children and grandchildren, lives in Delray Beach, Florida, and is married to a wonderful woman who is also, in her day, was one of the best pool players in the world, got to number three in the world and won the, um, I hope I get this right, the nine ball uh, championship at one point. So, Robert, welcome to Equal Footing. Number one, it was the, it was the U.S. Open nine ball championship, which was a, na- a national championship. Thank you. And I forgot to tell you, when she was thirteen, she won the eight ball amateur championships against women in their thirties and forties. That's amazing. As as a uh, yes, as a pool player, I, I'm I'm very impressed. And she's the number one Jewish lady pool player in the world. That's that's. And she was very beautiful, by the way. It is very beautiful. It's and, very and beautiful. That's, and that's our other guest. Mar- <laughs> let me let me have a chance to introduce both of you here before we get into it. This is going to be fun. Martin Feinberg is here, actually, in the studio with us. And Marty actually first went to the Borscht Belt in the late '40s with his parents, and 
also own different bungalow colonies. We're going to talk about the difference between the hotel experience and the bungalow experience up in the Catskills. Marty's a real estate developer, has been in television media for a long time, Broadway producer, a storied and interesting career. We had the opportunity to talk to Marty, I think it was a couple of months ago, on a completely different subject matter, talking about the wounded kind of relationship between adult uh, adults and their parents and, and ways to heal that. And I remember joking after the show that we would at some point come back into a lighter subject matter. So here we are at a lighter subject matter. Marty, welcome to Equal Footing. Thank you so much for having me, Dove. So let's let's first of all define the Borscht Belt for those who are listening who may not be aware of what we're, what we're really talking about here. Robert, what, what when did the Borscht Belt start? Uh, wh- what is it? Why should we care? Uh, the Borscht Belt really started probably, what, what happened was when the immigrants came over, there was a, a foundation or a charity that situated Jewish immigrants up in the, in the Catskill area as farmers because they had to have sponsorship and come into the United States. Now, as... A lot of dairy farmers, the, right? Um, dairy farmers uh, grow corn or grow something. And then as the summers went on, they started to take in borders uh, to supplement their income as, as, as farmers. And some of the, the hotels grew from the, from the humble farm beginnings to the, the large hotels. A good, a good one of that would have been grossing or started out as a farm. I don't believe the Concord started out as a farm. The Concord started out as two two small hotels that were merged into one and, and then was, was built up. We're going to come back to that. But it started the... out as just taking in borders, and they grew, and, and those hotels were called cooker lanes. Interesting. And that was, where are we talking about, 1930s, 1920s? When did that phenomenon start? That started in the 20s. Twenties, and Marty, we were talking in one of our pre-game pre-game conversations about. And it's not really the topic of this show, but just to give people context, before the Eastern European Jewish immigration migration to the Catskills, there was a boarding house community before that as well. What was that about? You know, I just want to bring up one little thing. The reason why it's called the Borscht Belt. Correct me if I'm wrong, Bobby. Is because so many Jews love borscht, and that's yep, why it was called Poland. borscht belt. Am I correct, Bobby? That, yeah, that's because of the Polish, Polish, Polish Jews. Yeah, and and for those non-Jewish listeners or folks that might not be familiar with borscht, is, is Marty, what is borscht as an element of the Jewish diet? Uh, I don't know. Bobby can explain like it better. Than me. Borscht, 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 is, borscht is a, well. There's two kinds of borscht. There's, there's dairy borscht and there's meat borscht. Meat borscht is a is a uh, a cabbage soup with beets and flanken. Yeah. The, uh, the, uh, the others is a beet soup with, mixed with sour cream. Gotcha. Now, Marty, to the question I was asking, before it was the Borscht Belt, there actually were hundreds of different boarding houses in the, in the region. What was that about? I don't know if it was hundreds. Uh, there were numerous. Was it hundreds, Bobby? No, there was actually some hotels up in the Schwangunks. And around there, there were very large resorts, but they catered to Jews were not allowed to to go to go in. They were restricted hotels. And there, were and all- there was another Jewish area, the uh, 
area up in Saratoga Springs had a whole Jew- Jewish hotels, but those were mostly mostly for the German Jews. Right. Who didn't want to go to the Catskills right. further north? But yeah. there was the, a lot of the boarding houses, if I understand it, in what is now the modern day, or it was, I should say, the the, the Borscht Belt and the, the heyday, nineteen forties through the mid nineteen sixties, or through the, into the, in the even the seventies. Before that, there were a lot of boarding houses that were catering to uh, folks that were coming up to recover from tuberculosis. I think that 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 was that, f- that was mostly in the Adirondacks. They, I see. They worked the in factories. I'm sorry. Um, they worked in factories and they got tuberculosis and they were sent up, the doctors sent them up to Sullivan County. Um, yes. That's sure. Am I correct, Bobby? That's correct. And so let's let's now fast forward a little bit to when the Borscht Belt really starts to take off as a Jewish vacation destination. You're I would say that early, late, late 20s it late started, 20s. but then it started to get bigger in the 30s, late 30s. But after the war, when people had cars and gas and everything, that's when it really started to peak. It exploded. Robert, tell us about the genesis of the Concorde, because that was the, like I said before, kind of the, okay. the star. The, my, it, my, my grandfather my grandfather was in the, in the hair tonic business from about 1915 all the way through. And he was a very successful businessman. He used to vacation at the hotel when it was a small hotel. And the lady who owned the hotel needed money. He gave her a mortgage. She defaulted on the mortgage. And he took over. He wound up in the hotel business in 1937. At the same time, my mother and father got married. And my father was the son-in-law. And he says, oh, this is a good time to put my son-in-law in business. And uh, the lady who he gave the mortgage to worked for the for the hotel for thirty years. Uh, the hotel grew. It was just probably a two hundred room hotel. We, we my grandfather bought another hotel which was next door, merged the two. And they had about three hundred rooms, but they were the old style rooms that had adjoining baths. Uh, two uh, two rooms would share a bath, and they had some private baths. They were all wood construction, the hotel. And then in the early 50s, we built an indoor pool, a health club, and started a whole revolution So because we started to open up for the winter because basically the resorts were open from Russia, from Passover through to Sukkot. Right, which would be like mid, <laughs> mid-spring through kind of early fall. From um, beginning of June, end of June to uh, Labor Day was the peak period. Was the summer, most of those, a few of the hotels, Concord Grossing as a hotel, opened up for Passover through the holidays. Others opened up from Memorial Day through Labor Day. Now, Bobby, is it, uh, Robert, sorry, is it fair to, to say that... You it, call me Bobby. That's okay, I was, fo- I was I following... Was Bobby. Okay. <laughs> I was following Marty's lead. Uh, Bobby, what, is it fair to say that in its... In its peak, the Concord was one of the top hotels in the world. Let me answer that, Bobby. That hotel was it had a dining room that held thirty five hundred people. Okay, yeah. Let me. Let me I'll, I'll explain the, 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 the dimensions of the Concord. The Concord at one point had the longest our, our, our lounge had the longest bar in the United States. We had the largest nightclub in the United States and the largest dining room in the United States. 
In fact, our dining room, we could see 3,500 people. We could see 3,000 people in our nightclub. Here in its heyday, we had we had 1,200 rooms. We were 1,600 acres, three golf courses, wow. 16 indoor tennis courts, 45 outdoor tennis courts, indoor skating rink, outdoor skating rink, and, and anything the, else you could think the, of. The ski area there was, I think, the first spot in the United States, we, maybe in the world, where they had artificial or uh, you know man-made snow. We were the first. Right? We were the first commercial ski area in the United States to make artificial snow. Amazing. We're and we're discussing. The, I, let me just do a quick, quick break here, guys, just so folks can participate because we're going to take our first break in a minute. But we're talking about the Borscht Belt and its impact on American social history. We're here with direct observers and participants. In the golden age of the Borscht Belt, Martin Feinberg owned different Marty. bunk, M- Marty, sorry, Martin, Marty Feinberg, uh, who owned, uh, different bungalow colonies and started going up to the Borscht Belt in the late 1940s. Bobby Parker, who is the owner and general manager of one of the top hotels, if not the top hotel of the Borscht, Borscht Belt, the Concord for about 30 years. It's really a, an honor and a privilege to be with both of you, Marty and Bobby. Participate in this conversation. Give us your direct testimonials about your experiences with the Borscht Belt, dial 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090 to participate in this conversation on the Borscht Belt. Or you can text a question or comment to 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. We're on equal footing with Marty Feinberg and Bobby Parker talking about the Borscht Belt, and we'll be right back. My mama I long to kiss my Ah, that's uh, Billie Holiday's rendition of My Yiddish Mama. Classic. All right, let's talk about our first sponsor for Equal Footing. It's DocuVax. You've heard about it before. DocuVax is a digital medical locker. It allows you to take control of your medical information, your basic biomarkers. It could be results from preventative screenings, immunization records, lab results, even x-rays or MRIs. Gone are those frustrating days of losing time tracking down your old medical records or sharing test results with a new doctor or a new insurance provider. The DocuVax system, which you can find at DocuVax.com, that's D-O-C-U-V-A-X.com, covers over 60 different important elements of your medical profile, from COVID, flu, and tetanus vaccines, to colorectal and breast cancer screenings, to blood type and allergy information. Sign up. Take control. Put all your medical records in one place. It's only $6.99 per month for individual subscribers, and you can privately access all of your medical records from a secure, HIPAA-compliant digital storage facility, easily accessible from your cell phone or your laptop. And best of all, as a DocuVax subscriber, medical professionals are on call for you 24 hours a day to validate your vaccine records, your blood tests, or anything else in your locker. 
It's important to note, your medical data at DocuVax is never accessible unless you as an individual subscriber want to share it privately using a proprietary QR code-based system that keeps your data secure at all times. So put an end to worrying about if you or someone else you care about is up to date on a particular vaccine, blood test, or preventative screening. Take control of your medical file. Sign up at DocuVax.com or call 833-859-1933. That's 833-859-1933. And if you're a small business owner or a school administrator, a government administrator, and you want to sponsor employees or participants to be on the DocuVax system, there are group discounts available. So call 833-859-1933 or go to DocuVax.com. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on checking. And I've been taught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on. All right, you're back on equal footing. I'm Dove Tuzman. It's wonderful to be here with Bobby Parker, owner and general manager of the Concord Hotel in the fabled Borscht Belt for 30 years, and Marty Feinberg owner of different bungalow colonies, also in the Borscht Belt. We're talking about the heyday of the Borscht Belt in Sullivan County, New York, about 100 miles north-northwest of New York City. At one point, there were almost 2 million visitors each summer to the Borscht Belt. To put that into context, that's more people than go to Las Vegas in a similar period, even today at a population size that's almost double. You're talking about as much as a third of the American Jewish population would spend their summers at some point in the Borscht Belt. You can participate again in this conversation by dialing 718-303-9090, or you can text a question to 917-428-4062. Marty, I interrupted you before the break. What did you want to say? I just wanted to add to what Bobby said, that the Concord had the world some of the world's greatest entertainers. They had everyone there. Uh, and the Catskills, uh, like Jerry Lewis started out, at uh, Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin, I think, started out at the Brown Hotel. But the Parkers had just the greatest who, who entertainers. Who were some of those entertainers? Get, so the audience can get some context. Oh, Bobby can add. Oh, well, oh we had Howie Belafonte, the, uh, Buddy Hackett, Alan King. Zero Mustel. Uh, we had uh, all the singers, Julio Iglesias. Sinatra, uh, Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., etc., Brad Pack? Sammy Davis, Sammy Davis was a regular. Sinatra didn't play the Catskills. Ah, gotcha. I got that. Who was the one from uh, Canada? I remember. I'll never forget him. Uh, the short guy from Canada. Uh, Canadian, uh, what the heck's his name? Who were some of the comedians? I know, for like Freddie Roman. Used oh, to Freddie be. Roman, yeah. Well, there, 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 were, there were two. There were two classes. First of all, in, in the in the in the forties and fifties, most a lot of the entertainers were Jewish entertainers. Right. Give you an example. When I was a kid in the fifties, every Labor Day we had Sophie Tucker. Sophie Tucker, like a fixture for her. Yeah, but, so, and, and we had a lot of Jewish comedians, did, did Jewish jokes and stuff. But as we got toward the 60s and the middle 60s, our clientele wasn't probably was 70% Jewish and 30% non-Jewish. Hmm. Because and, and so even earlier, though we were kosher hotels, 
the services and stuff we offered and the sports and the entertainment was a draw to them. We did a lot of Italian business. So in the 40s and 50s, was it almost 100% Jewish clientele? I would say 95% Jewish, yeah. It reminds me of a story that uh, I've heard in studying for this show uh, around Groucho Marx. I think it was in Miami because Groucho Marx was Jewish and he married a non-Jewish woman. And at the time, there used to be these signs up, as I understand it, at least in Florida, that would say, you know, no Jews or dogs allowed. That was Arthur Godfrey's hotel. Is that right? It's ironic. Yeah, that was Arthur Godfrey's hotel. And, and Groucho Marx would say, yeah, uh, you know, so... Uh, you know, so my daughter, can she go halfway in the pool? Because, you know, she's she's half Jewish. And uh, I think that it's it's important for listeners to understand that there was a period in this country where, for the Jewish community, there was nowhere else where they really felt welcome. And so it was a, a place well, of, of, of extraordinary community and camaraderie and connection to, to, well, to history. What Bobby before, left before. out also, wait a second, what Bobby left out also was the incredible meals. I mean, people would... <laughs> Not only eat like th- three breakfasts or two breakfasts, but they would take all the rolls and the other things, and they would be eating for the next two weeks in, with the well, food that they took from the Concord Hotel meals. It was uh, – our meals were sumptuous. We served only the top quality food. But there was two different types of Jews that came to, the, to our hotel. We had the New York – New Jersey, Long Island Jews who came up because it was convenient and regular. But then there were the out-of-town, Detroit, Chicago, San Francisco, Texas, where they didn't have large Jewish communities. And they, when they came to the Concord or to the other hotels, they got to spend a week or two weeks with with fellow Jews. Mm-hmm. And, and they're still in the, in the Jewish atmosphere and the Jewish community. And what subsequently happened to that, like, say, a, a, couple, a couple from Chicago would come in with their family, another from Detroit, and it would so happen that they would come the same week. So they looked forward to having friends come every week, and it, and it was like a social event. And the kids got to be friends with another kid from another state for a week. Right. But it was one week every year. But then with the event of the airplane travel and the beach clubs and other things, the uh, people, the pattern of going to the same place every year basically stopped. Marty, be, I, I think to, to Bobby's last point, before the show, we were talking a little bit about your experience as a kid. And you, you your parents were in New York, right? And tell us a little bit about what well, that was like for you. To add to what everything that Bobby said was really uh, exciting and interesting, the, the, the Borscht Belt, if anything, was about love. You went there every year to see, you stayed at the same hotel all summer. The father, uh, the, the wife and the children stayed all summer. The father came up on weekends. Um, when, and, when the parents were local in New York City. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, they, the father traveled 100 miles to be with his family on the weekend. He came up either Friday night or Saturday morning. Um, and left Sunday night or Monday morning, probably Sunday night, mostly that, Sunday night. That was, um, the, that was the genesis of the, of, of the, uh, the bungalow colonies. Yeah. Let, well, uh, well, I stayed at a small hotel, the White Rose Hotel in um, South Fallsburg. Uh, it was like 40 right. rooms or 50 rooms, and uh, that was generally it. The uh, yeah. parents came up on – the father came up on the weekend. But I have to tell you something. 
there was a love and a camaraderie that you couldn't get anywhere else. It was just unbelievable. Uh, it was a period of of intense Judaism, uh, love. Uh, if, 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 I, if I had a couple of words to describe it, it would really be um, a great love mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. people. I, Bobby, I want to give you a couple of questions that have already yeah. come in by text, and we're going to take a quick caller before our next break. So a couple of different listeners have asked about popular media representations of the Borscht Belt, both Dirty Dancing, which was a very uh, famous, you know, acclaimed movie from the 1980s. It was, I think, supposed to be set in the early 60s, if I recall correctly, yeah. and also The Marvelous yeah, that, Mrs. Maisel. That, 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 that was filmed in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've heard that. I've heard different. There's differing stories on. on no, that, Bobby's but, right. The North yeah. Carolina. Yeah, I think there were parts of it that were filmed in the Catskills. But that 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 was a that was a uh, a portrait of of the hotel of a hundred to two hundred rooms. It wasn't a, a portrait of the large hotels at all. So before we talk about the next popular media representation, dig in a little bit more on that, Bobby. Like, what, what was what was accurate about it, or what was reflective of the Borscht Belt, and what wasn't? Dirty Dancing. Well, this is this is the, 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 the part about the social staff doing many many jobs, and the fact that the social staff, the the, the college boys, were instructed to dance with the with the guest daughters. That that was all true in, <laughs> okay. in the smaller hotel. Was all true. Yeah. That's- and what what was inaccurate? And, and in they, they also had the guest and staff shows. They it was, uh, I would say, more intimate. The smaller hotels, but they had people staying for four or five weeks. We had, when we had, we were a hotel at one point of seven hundred rooms. At that point, we had two hundred to two hundred and fifty rooms that were occupied for the whole summer. In, yeah. in, in terms we of dirty, have a lot of in terms of dirty dancing, Marty and Bobby, was there anything in that film that you felt, oh, that's not right? They didn't get that right. Uh, I thought it was a, an exaggeration uh, to some degree, yeah. a, a little over the top. But which elements? Bobby Wait, left hold out. on a second. Which elements were an exaggeration? Oh, because um, a lot of people think group, of the Borscht Belt as dirty uh, dancing. Um, uh, no, no. When you come into when she came. Uh, the first night with a watermelon or something like that, and, and the whole and like forty people were dancing like crazy. I don't. I, it was nothing like that. What it really was was college Jewish college Jewish college students who didn't have that much money, and they worked as waiters, and they were able to pay part or all their tuition from the money they made in Sullivan County. That's what it was really about. Well, and they had their first romantic well, <laughs> experience right. in Sullivan County. Yes. The, uh, <laughs> as far as the college kids, the college kids would work. And remember, in the 50s, you could go to college for $5,000 a year or less. Mm-hmm. Or less, yeah. So, And a, 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 kid, a kid could, if he came in Memorial Day and worked through Labor Day and busted his chops, he could make four to five thousand dollars in the summer. Wow. That, that Only at the Concord. <laughs> <laughs> he could pay. He could pay his whole college. Not at the White Rose Hotel. <laughs> so many things I want to ask here, but quickly before we take a caller. Are either of you familiar with the, I think it's on Netflix, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? That's a very popular show. There's a two or three seasons out. I think I'm not familiar with it. My wife is. Me either. 
So if you want to ask my wife some questions, you can ask her about Mrs. Maisel. Well, if you want to put it on after the next break, go ahead. It would be wonderful to talk to Joanne as well. And and I think that it's interesting because it shows how, as a a culture, we're still fascinated by the Borscht Belt, the fact that this show has won awards and has got one of the highest viewerships on the online platforms. All right, we're going to take, before we hit the next break, we're going to take a question from a caller or a question or comment from a caller on line three. Hello, Dove. Stan, how are you? Oh, Dove, I love you tonight. It's a happy night for a change. It's not depressing. <laughs> it's always a depressing. I night. had I had my a couple. Poetry, this, that. There were a couple people in my life, Stan, said you need to make it lighter tonight. Uh, so I did it. You too. For you for a change. <laughs> uh, this is a good topic because I know about this well. My parents used to go to the Great Browns Hotel. Sure, the Browns. Uh, Lillian Brown. Now. I know for a fact because they would go up, not all the time, but they went up there. And one of the biggest nights of their life was when two of the greatest entertainers came. And the biggest amount of money given to one people, and that was Martin and Lewis. They got $100,000 at that time for a Saturday night at Brown's Hotel because he used to work there when he was a kid, Jerry Lewis. 100000 today would be what, twenty? Ten, twenty million? Who knows? What no, year? not twenty million. What year are we talking? Eight hundred thousand. Stan, what year? Yeah, what year are we talking there. about? Stan, what year are we talking about? Sorry. Uh, the early nineteen fifties. He got uh, uh, Jerry Lewis booked him and asked Dean Martin, "Should we come?" He said, "Yeah. How much are they paying us? A hundred thousand. But the big joke was when he came there, as the gentleman talked about eating, he'd sit at the table, and he says to Jerry, "Jerry, I need butter." And butter you don't have for in the Jewish mountains. And the gentleman will attest to that. You don't ask for that. And he would say, I want butter. I need to put it on the bread. He said, no, no, you can't do that. And he did that. And he, for some reason, they wouldn't get it. The team was mad, but he did that. But the biggest thing that I, the most, I want to just get a serious point. What killed the Borscht Belt? Yeah, we're going to get what? to that. We're going to get to that. After. I'll, I'll, I'll make a quick statement. I hate to say it, but the despoiler. The Jews killed their own. Situation. Stan, are you willing? Are you willing to hold on for over? Sure, I'll hold on. No problem. That was next on the agenda. Absolutely, and the Jews end. did that because of time, because of a and as things changed, uh, uh, prices changed, real estate. Mister Parker knows real estate. And time changed. Yeah. Young Jews right, didn't come. We're, we're going to get to the. We're going to get to that element. Hold on, no problem. Yeah, hold on. And and for those listeners that are interested in a multimedia uh, kind of portal into this subject, there's a really interesting documentary that was done a number of years ago by Peter Davies called. Uh, the Rise and Fall of the Borscht Belt, and you can find that on YouTube, The Rise and Fall of the Borscht Belt by Peter Davies. There are lots of great books about it, too, but I really encourage it because it's got a lot of old footage and, and interviews that are uh, that were contemporaneous to the period. Okay, we're going to be back on Equal Footing. Hold on. Uh, thanks, Dan. In a couple of minutes with Marty Feinberg. Great guys. Good talking Bobby to you. Bobby Parker. And uh, we're talking about the heyday of the Borscht Belt and its importance in American social history. We'll be right back. One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. Nine, ten, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, rock. We're gonna rock around the clock tonight. But you should right so join me home. We'll have some fun when the clock strikes one. We're gonna rock around the clock tonight. We're gonna rock, rock, rock till broad daylight. We're gonna rock, we're gonna rock. Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skin care. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. 
So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. All right, you're back on Equal Footing. Red Light's back here in the studio. We're talking about the heyday of the Borscht Belt, Sullivan County, New York, circa 1940s to 1960s. We're joined by Bobby Parker, who was the owner and general manager of the Concord Hotel, which was the top hotel in its day, not only in the Borscht Belt, but arguably in North America and perhaps the world. It's a large format hotel, brought ushered in a lot of the things we take for granted now in all-inclusive resort vacation destinations. Marty Feinberg, who's an owner of different bungalow colonies, started going to the Borscht Belt in the ni- late 1940s and has also been a Broadway producer and been involved with uh, television media for many years. And we've got a caller on line three. Before we stand, who uh, we're, we're delighted to have on the air. Stan, what's your last name, if you don't mind, so I can properly refer to you? Uh, I don't know if Stan's uh, back on the line. I'm here, Kaplan, Kaplan. Kaplan. So, uh, Mr. Kaplan. With a K, with a K. Gotcha. (laughs) Stan Kaplan has also called in and and joined us. Okay, before we went on the break, we were talking about what ended the heyday of the Borscht Belt. People would say that might be in the late 1960s or perhaps into the mid-70s. Bobby... As the owner and operator of the the largest hotel at the time up there, among the, at one point there were over a thousand hotels in this small ten mile by twenty five mile area. What, in your view, kind of ended the the golden age of the Borscht Belt? Well, well, the golden age probably ended in the late seventies, and we continued to operate. The uh, the thing that drove it number one. Uh, there was no customer loyalty anymore. The advent of the airplane to go to Europe, to go any other place, the advent of everything being air-conditioned, the advent of the beach clubs, and the advent of gaming. So let me be clear, for for those people that, because we have listeners around the world, in Brazil and Europe, etc., that are listening online, air conditioning was important because the Borscht Belt sits in the Catskills, which is, you know, 1,500, 2,500 feet above sea level. And so New York, sorry, 1,500 where I guess the Concord was. And so New York City would get very hot and muggy in the summer, and you could go up to the Catskills even before there was air conditioning, and it was very, uh, uh, you know, it, it was comfortable. Is, is that is that right, Bobby? Uh, yeah. yeah you know, we, all the hotels were, were air conditioned at that point. But the thing later, was, later, yeah, yeah. The, the thing is, people just didn't want to go to the same place every year. Uh, the, the basic Catskills was a three-generation phenomenon. It started out with the, with the grand, great-grandparents in the, in the 30s and 40s, with the parents in the 50s and 60s. And when the parents died off, the people didn't want to they didn't, they didn't want to come back they wanted to go to south america they wanted to go gambling in atlantic city mm-hmm. they wanted to go different places and that that was the decline of of the hotels 
Now, what about Marty? You, 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 Marty, you bring a little bit of a different perspective because you were in the bungalow space. Is, is, did you experience? Was there a similar? Well, the bungalow colonies had a little more loyalty. It wasn't as big as the Concord. You know, it was my my I, I owned Landsman's. Um, that was 80 units. Another one in Village Green and uh, was 45 units. So that was a different. Uh, Bo- Bobby needed hundreds of people because he, he had such a big hotel. Um, a thousand, a thousand people. Marty, uh, for listeners uh, that might not even the, know what the bungalow co- what a bungalow, a bungalow colony is, is a group of little cottages. They're usually one bedroom or two bedroom. Occasionally, a few of them were three bedroom, but they were one or two bedroom little cottages. There were like forty of them, forty different families, fifty, sixty. Um, and now, they now they're, Kuchelein. they're still the Yiddish word is Kuchelein. Kuchelein. There, there's uh, still a lot of these in the yeah. Catskills, but now it's it's really they're Orthodox. really religious communities. Yeah. At that time, was Landsman's, for example, was that was that religious? No, that or was secular? a secular. That wasn't. A, that was a non-religious, uh, non-orthodox uh, bungalow colony. Marty. But what also could, killed? Could I just? What I think what all, just one last thing. What also killed the uh, the Catskills uh, or Borscht Belt? So to speak, it never quite died. By the way, there was always a little life. It never quite died. But the bungalow colonies it's evolved. Get a little. But I think also uh, another generation, like Bobby said, they didn't. They not only weren't interested. They, they, it had a, a halo to it. The uh, the bungalow colonies uh, it was really love and seeing people that you saw every year and. Uh, but then that halo started to diminish. You know, like the Hamptons have a halo to it right now. That's the type of halo that the Borscht Belt uh, had, and then it started to, to diminish. Stan, Bobby, you go. I want to hear Bobby saying. Yeah, Bobby, you I go wanna, first, and we'll go to What's your perspective of that? I, I, have a, I have a different perspective on why some of the bungalow colonies started to peter out. If you remember correctly, when you were young, in the, in the area, there were two to three hundred summer restaurants. The movie theaters were packed. The Bugalow Colony people on the weekends went to the movie theaters. They went to the restaurants. And then, in 1957, the racetrack opened up. Mm. And my, everybody started cellar, to yeah. go to the... Oh, right. Yeah, everybody started to go to the racetrack. Now, when you take five to seven thousand people out of restaurants, out of movie theaters, the towns started to die. And, because if you went to Monticello in 1960, on a Saturday night, in 1955, the town was open till 3 in the morning. The stores were open till 1. Mm-hmm. The restaurants were open. Everything, it was, the streets were packed. And, as Barney knows, during the week, the women had nothing to do if they didn't play mahjong. They went to the racetrack. We're talking about horse racing, right? Trotters, the trotters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that racetrack's and, still there, by the way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But what happens is, when somebody goes to a racetrack, the first year they learn how to bet. They bet a dollar. They bet two dollars. After a few years, the women, some of the women at some of the bungalow colonies, would lose the the meal money. Right. It, it just it, it took away from the. the the Hamisher atmosphere 
of the Bundwa colonies. So, but hey, let's do a sorry. Colonies let's just do a quick quick yeah. refresh because not all of our listeners are Jewish, and some may have tuned in a little bit later in the show. We're talking about the Borscht Belt, which was a primary destination for the American Jewish community, Eastern European, particularly Ashkenazi Jewish uh, community heyday in kind of the 40s through the 60s. Later, as Bobby Parker mentioned, who was the owner and manager of the largest hotel in that area, the Concord Hotel, by by the time you get into the 60s and 70s, it's not all Jewish clientele. There's also Italian-Americans and so forth that are that are going. But this is a really important moment in American social history. This is also indicative of a community's balance, in this case the Jewish uh, immigrants' balance between assimilation and still maintaining uh, community. And I want to get to that topic um, next. But Stan, you've been very patient. Do you agree with Marty and Bobby's assessment of, of why the golden age of the Borscht Belt ended? And let's see if we've got Check your way. I, I don't agree with them at all. If you're going to blame it on Monticello Raceway, that's crazy. What changed was the times. I, I, Just a minute. You d- what changed was the times. Late 50s, early 60s, kids did not want to go up there. These places existed for your own. You went to see Jews for Jews. There was the uh, Chitlin Circuit up and down the Northeast for blacks. They had hotels. That has gone away. There was the Italian Circuit, Philadelphia, Baltimore area, all gone. There was African-Americans, blacks wanted to be with blacks. There was the Chitlin Circuit all the way down south you could go. The Jews had the mountains. It was wonderful for its time. But times changed. Things changed. Entertainment changed, as he mentioned. I don't blame it on racetracks. Gambling existed, but uh, I don't think so. Anyway, there's still people going up there. I know some people, orthodox, conservative, still go up yeah, there. Yeah, we're going to we're going to talk in the uh, in the last segment about what it is like today. But Stan, that was a perfect segue because. I, really, this is indicative. This isn't just for Jewish listeners, absolutely. Even for listeners in New York, this is absolutely a story of community and assimilation and one evolution of the community. One yeah. with each other. That's and, what it is. One more thing. Also, remember the period, the Jews of that period of the 50s and 40s, they were extremely liberal. The, the, um, the bungalow colonies were very socialistic. I don't mean socialism like communism, but they were very extremely socialistic, very liberal, um, and a, a Jew stuck together period and yeah. and and the 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 catskills and the and, and the Borscht belt was emblematic of that of the jewish thinking feeling love hate and fears and, and stan i think i think your point is there were analogous communities geographically in different parts of the country for different minority absolutely. groups. Absolutely. And it was, as I said, the Chitlin Circuit, up and down the Northeast for African Americans, blacks, had motels and hotels. The Jews had the mountains, absolutely. Right. But and I so, don't agree with one and, thing. Right, so you're saying culturally there came a time where that separation was no longer needed or that there was... It, it, was it went on its own. Times yeah. changed. Yeah. People, uh, integration by the late 50s, early 60s, and so forth, which was going in on major of the uh, major cities throughout the United States. It changed on its own, and it was the people themselves that did it. The Jews left uh, the mountains. I, I, I think I would... I want to ahead, clear Bobby. something up. I did, I did not say that the race... I, I, I didn't mean to say that the racetrack was mainly responsible. There, there were probably five or six different facts that affected it, because the bungalow colonies were a different animal than the hotels. 
Right. A lot of the hotels went out because they were small hotels and the families, the children of the owners of the, of the hotels did not want to be in the hotel business. I, think, I appreciate that, that clarification. Mr. Parker, he can vouch on real estate. In the end, it was the money on the real estate. Is that right, right Mr. Parker? What do you mean the money on the real estate? Well, land. Uh, sooner or later, the Concord was sold. The land was sold and so forth. Am I not correct on that? That's correct. Yeah. Stan, I want to thank now you for calling. I, no want to, I want to take a break. Now I want to thank you for calling in. We're going to we're going to take uh, our last break bef- uh, until we go into our last segment here, and we're going to come back to what is on the land that was the Concord. What do things look like today in that old Borscht Belt area in Sullivan County? We'll be right back on Equal Footing. All right. A special thanks, by the way, to one of our guests, Marty Feinberg, tonight for helping me select the music that was indicative of this period in the Lord's Bell. Okay. Quickly, our last but not least two sponsors of the evening for equal footing manhattan medical okay you've heard me talk about manhattan medical before this is very important not only for men that are dealing with erectile dysfunction but also for their partners it's essential to emotional health to mental health to be able to have enjoyable sex at any age Manhattan Medical utilizes the new effective gains wave therapy for erectile dysfunction or ED and it can help people achieve excellent results. Okay, here's the deal. There are no expensive blue pills. It's non-invasive. It's surgery free. It is painless. Most importantly, with Manhattan Medical, in addition to there being no side effects, it has wonderful results. The gains wave therapy can help you. Call 888 888- EDCure9 to get more information on Manhattan Medical and the Gaines Wave Erectile Dysfunction Therapy. That's 888-EDCure9, which spells 888-332-8739. That's 888-332-8739. If you mentioned that you heard about Manhattan Medical's Gaines Wave Therapy for Erectile Dysfunction, on equal footing, you will get a free consultation. That has real value. You can get terrific results. Change your life. This is not something that uh, you have to deal with through the typical blue pill that might not be working for you. There are alternative methods. Do it for yourself. Do it for your partner. Call Manhattan Medical, 888-332-8739. Okay. We're also going to quickly mention... Our sponsor for long-term here with Equal Footing, grateful to Mechanical Art Capital. Mechanical Art Capital offers financing to watch collectors and watch dealers from anywhere in the world. Unlock the cash value of your watch collection or your inventory if you're a small or mid-sized dealer through Mechanical Art Capital's guaranteed buyback contracts. Quick cash for building your inventory or if you're a collector putting towards a a new purchase or home improvement or what have you for more information call 833-209-0972 that's 833-209-0972 or you can go to mechanicalartcapital.com operators are standing by i've been caught but i'm keeping up 
Okay, back on Equal Footing, I'm Dove Tusman, joined by Marty Feinberg and Bobby Parker. We are talking about the golden age of the Borscht Belt, an area about 100 miles north-northwest of New York City that in its day would get a million and a half to two million visitors over the summer and was one of the world's greatest vacation destinations. Marty, you want to make a point? Oh, just to give you an idea, one of the things that happened, I remember in the early 80s, driving around with a real estate broker because I was looking for property up there and all of a sudden I see these burnt out hotels and all over the place and I said to the broker how come there's so many fires here he said those aren't fires that's Jewish lightning <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> all right that's but a true story <laughs> we we in these last 10 minutes or so that we've got <laughs> Marty I want to uh, talk about w- what the Borscht Belt really is today. Bobby, the site of the Concord. Okay, okay, the Borscht Belt. What is, what's on, where, what is where the Concord was today? What's going the on Concord, there? Where the Concord, where the physical Concord was, is, is just open fields now. Where part, where the, where the, one of the golf courses where they built a, uh, New York State, uh, finally passed legalized gaming, uh, and they built a casino at the, on the side of the Concord and the developing it with a water park and other, other things. And they're, and they're going to build another golf course and it's eventually going to be all developed again. And it's, that's Resorts World International, I think, that built that, right? It's, it's a pretty big development. And it's not, and it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not, there's no kosher, there's no juice. Right. The, uh, the, the most, well, well, I would I would say, Bobby, to be to be fair, because I, I I have a home in Lock Sheldrake, New York, and there are a lot of Jewish clientele at the casino uh, on a on a Saturday night. So, uh, it, but they oh yeah, right. well, well, the Orthodox people love to gamble, right? And, and Marty, Marty the, uh, sorry, go ahead, Bobby. Most of the most of the bungalow colonies now are all Hasidic. Uh, a couple of the hotels are Hasidic. Or, or modern or, or orthodox. Yeah. It's it's basically all very religious Jews. What hotels in the are area, like, Bobby? In the in uh, I didn't see anything. What hotels? I was there a couple of weeks ago for the first time in twenty years. I understand Brown had a fire and is no longer there. What Brown, Browns 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 went to condos and then they had a fire. The uh, that's burnt down, right? The, uh, yeah, the Raleigh is now an Orthodox place. Wow. Kutcher's is an Orthodox Which place. Which one? Kutcher's. Uh, oh, Kutcher's. Kutcher's. Wow. You know, you know what? is closed. The Concord yeah. is closed. Pines is closed. It's interesting. It's gone through an evolution. To now there's a real estate boom going on up there. But driven very by very different uh, dynamics, a lot of young couples moving up from the outer boroughs like uh, Brooklyn and Queens and so forth are buying places up there. As you guys mentioned, there's a strong Orthodox community. The hotels that are doing best up there now are relatively small format, like 10 to 100 rooms that are focused more on uh, food and beverage and are kind of boutique uh, experiences. There's the De Bruce, the, the Canosa Lake, the uh, Calicoon Hills, the Arnold House. Very different type of clientele. That, that's all. That's all. The, the Calicoon, the western part of the county, was always Gentile. They have tremendous fly fishing and, and hunting and all kinds of outdoor sports. Right. That's the, that. That was always popular. It stayed straight through that that part of the county. 
never had a depression like like the eastern part of the county. Yeah, a lot of people don't know this, but right above the Borscht Belt, still in Sullivan County, to Bobby's point, to the north and, and west, there's the Beaverkill River and the Willow Weemock and so forth that have been fly fishing havens really since the 19th century. And there's That's there right. are Roosevelt estates up there. There's like old old Gentile money, so to speak, that is up in the Beaverkill Country Club and so forth that predated the Borscht Belt, was contemporaneous with the Borscht Belt, and now postdates the Borscht Belt and has kind of stayed fairly steady uh, throughout. And, uh, and that's just literally another 10, 15 minutes you know, north or west. That's correct. There's a couple of... Also in Ellenville, in, in, the, in the Shawangunk area, there were, in, in the early, late 1800s, early 1900s, there were very large hotels, two or three, as again, they were restricted hotels. Right. What do you mean by restricted hotels? Sorry. No, uh, Jews. Jews, Jews, not, right. Jews were not allowed to go. Right. I so, got to tell you, Bobby, the Concord was like an obsession. You I, in the eighties, in the early nineties, I went there because I was afraid I was going to miss something. <laughs> That's the reason. <laughs> Yeah, it's like FOMO, what they, what they, they right. say, it was fear like of missing out. You had to go. We have a couple of uh, comments from that have come in by text. That uh, One's a clarification. Well, both are comments, neither are questions. One is a listener wants to make clear that I misspoke. The misses, or I, I misstated. The Marvel, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, that's a tongue twister show, is actually not on Netflix. It's on Amazon Prime, so check that out. And then another listener wants me to mention Max Yasger. And Max yeah. Yasger. Max, oh, yes. Bethel. Yeah. Oh, yes. Woodstock. That, that's Woodstock. And, and just, I'll set, I'll, uh, Bobby, I'll, I'll set you up to, to explain to the audience who Max Yasger is, but the listener wants to make it clear that for anybody that's listening that thinks, oh, this is some arcane topic that doesn't really touch popular American culture, Max Yasger is a point of connectivity between, you know, one of the most seminal events in American popular culture. Bobby, you want to educate us? Okay. Max Yasger was a dairy farmer. Again, one of the Jewish dairy farmers, and, and a sidebar to that, my my mother was in the in the dairy business, and Max Yasky used to uh, bottle milk, so we had Concord Farms milk in, in the fifties and sixties, bottled by Max Yasky, and they were very, he and my mother were very close. But on his farm was one of the most greatest events in American history, which was called Woodstock. All right, 1969, the Woodstock Music Festival. 1969. On the, on the site of Yasger Farm, there's now a, a great museum yes. for those of you who go up and visit Sullivan County. Yes. And, and Max Yasger's and, parents were Russian Jewish immigrants who you pointed out in yes. the beginning of the show, that was the community that originally populated the, the, the later Borscht Belt. The, the, the Borscht Belt really started as, as, as dairy farms for the, for the immigrants. And, mm-hmm. and it grew into the, the boarding houses, which grew into the hotels. And subsequently, they had the bungalow colonies. Let's take, because we're running out of time here, a quick call, a very patient caller on uh, Line 5. Line 5, you're on the air. Hi. Also, the, there was a railroad that went from Midtown Manhattan to the Catskills. That closed down That's in the late right. 50s. O&W. The o- Ontario right. Western, the o- right? O&W Railroad. Right. And sorry, right. caller, I, I didn't I didn't introduce you because I didn't know your name, but uh, Mike, 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 welcome. Mike. Are you talking Mike. about the Ontario Western Railway, right? I think yes, yes. Late yeah, there was a railway that came up, went through Fallsburg, went through uh, near Liberty, and what would happen is a lot of the people who came up. This was before the advent of the when the automobiles were right. just starting. 
people came up, all the cars, all the hotels sent station wagons to the to the uh, train stations and to pick up the guests to take them to the hotel. Mike, a very was important there... part of the early early part of the Catskills. Yeah, yeah, and then the automobile took over. One thing that was left out is the, the difficulty in getting up there. Sometimes on a Saturday, it could take eight hours from the Bronx or from Brooklyn just to get up there because there was a one-lane that road was on Route you didn't have the, you didn't have 17. The highway. You didn't have Route 17, the the Right, throughway. the old 17. Yeah, the old 17 one is one lane. Yeah. And the Red Apple stop was a very famous Apple. Right, you had to stop there after four hours of driving. Mike, did you have anything else you wanted to add? Because we're about to up on time here. That's a great show. <laughs> yeah, thanks thanks, thanks for calling. All right, guys, we've just got a couple minutes left. I want to go around the horn here, and Bobby and Marty, I'm going to ask you in last just a minute each, Tell us what you think is either your greatest memory or the legacy of the Borscht Belt that listeners should kind of, you know, keep in their mind. Why, why is this period of American social history important? That's a wonderful because question. Was, uh, um, let's, let's, start, let's, let's start with you, Bobby. Uh, it was a basically amalgamation of the Jews from all over the country to, to be together. It was an area when it was basically the Jews from the 20s and 30s were immigrants. And as they assimilated, their families all wanted to be together. But once the assimilation occurred, that was the end of the the mountains. Hmm. So it it was a period of assimilation. Marty. Okay. Um, Drop us your wisdom. I think it was a a period of, um, first of all, this weren't, Sullivan County didn't have extremely wealthy Jews. The very wealthy Jews went to the Concord or Grossingers. But basically, all those hotels were were filled with middle class, um, maybe a tinge of slightly upper middle class or lower middle class, but it was middle class people. My father was a cab driver. Um, A lot of uh, American Jews uh, worked in the fur business. Uh, They were cutters. They didn't have much money. And it was a place where you can spend the whole summer, a family could spend the whole summer in an affordable uh, room or rooms. Um, and it was just a time when we were with our parents and there was a family connection and there weren't the, the divorce rate among Jews was 1 or 2%. Now it's over 50%. It was a time of connection, caring, love, um, that cannot exist anymore in this in, in this environment. In this, uh, there is no more this type of uh, uh, connection. And, and, and that's why it's important for us to really study these uh, these uh, periods uh, and, and and with with folks that were a part of the history. It's been an honor tonight to have one more on. one more thing. We're at it. Go it ahead. Ten seconds. If the Jews had of the Borscht Belt. Say it again. There was a pride that the Jews had of the Borscht Belt. Yeah, there was right. pride there, and and there still sh- and there still should be. It was an important period of American history. It, it it tells partly the story of assimilation and the middle class. Marty Feinberg, thank you. Bobby Parker, thank you. We'll be with you next week on Equal Footing.
smoke gets 